Hello, and welcome to the Healed Podcast, the place where we can talk about all things food, body, and mind from an anti-diet and weight-inclusive lens. My name is Marie-Pierre, or you can call me Marie, and I am your host. I'm a registered dietitian with a background in psychology, and I specialize in food relationship and body image. And I am the founder and CEO of The Balance Practice, a treatment center for eating disorder and disordered eating. Every week on the podcast, you will hear from myself, the team at The Balance Practice, and other providers who have dedicated their careers in supporting folks to have better relationship with food and their bodies. On this podcast, we aim to provide a safe space to have these deep and juicy conversations regarding eating disorder, disordered eating recovery, health, relationship, body image, and honestly, anything we believe will support you in living your big, beautiful life. We believe in the power of healing, and hopefully this podcast will be a great addition to your toolbox in your healing journey. Thank you for tuning in today, and let's get to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, to the new, improved, updated podcast. So we are rebranding, my friend. So this is no longer the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. We are now the Healed Podcast. This transition is happening because, one, we are evolving as we do as humans. The business is growing. But we also wanted to be able to have the podcast no longer be just me. This podcast goes above and beyond. It's to really support you in your healing journey from your disordered eating, eating disorder, so you can live a really full, beautiful life in the way that you want to live. So what you can expect moving forward from the podcast is guest interviews with anti-diet and weight-inclusive aligned providers, as well as the balance practice team. We will do behind the scenes of our professional development conversation to really include you in what we're doing, what we're learning, how we're growing. We're going to have a bigger focus on eating disorder care as the balance practice is really specialized in the treatment of eating disorders. I'm really excited for this evolution of the podcast, and I hope that you are too. To help us celebrate the change of the podcast, we would love for you to share and review the podcast. This will really help us get traction, grow the podcast, grow our message so more folks can learn about being anti-diet, weight-inclusive, and just being like a nice, self-compassionate human. So if you have been loving this podcast, or if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We would love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and share the podcast with someone you think would benefit from hearing the messages. So as we are starting this podcast again, the September 2023, today we have a really fun podcast episode with Jasna Robinson-Wright, who is a registered dietitian at The Balance Practice. She's actually like the OG provider with me. Um, so she has been here the longest. She's almost been here with me for three years at The Practice, and she's such an amazing human being. So Jasna is a registered dietitian, but she's also a certified diabetes educator and a certified intuitive eating counselor. She really loves to mix her areas of expertise, which is like diabetes and health condition and eating disorder, disordered eating, as well as prenatal and postpartum care. She really loves to help moms and babies in their feeding journeys as well. Um, Jasna is just such an amazing 
amazing human. She is a mom of two and just a wonderful provider as part of the Balance Practice team. If you have worked with her at the Balance Practice, you know what I am talking about. She is just a wonderful, beautiful human. And today we are talking about the intersection of health conditions, special and medical therapies, so nutrition interventions for health conditions, and diet culture. So one of the bigger risk factors of developing an eating disorder or disordered eating is having a health condition that requires nutrition intervention. So today we wanted to give a sneak peek and talking about it, but we will be doing a full workshop on health conditions and diabetes and eating disorder, disordered eating, and just managing those conditions outside of diet culture too. If whether you are in your recovery of an eating disorder, like how do we do both? Or if you are, you know, post recovery and we're maintaining it and we don't want to slip back because we have a health condition. Or if you're someone who doesn't have an eating disorder, but has to manage a health condition and you're just wanting to do it in a gentle way. So you're not going to want to miss this workshop. It is a $10 workshop. So it's a very low cost. And you can sign up at thebalancepractice.com forward slash LC workshops. And it's going to be this September. So Friday, September 29th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. We really hope to see you there. I think it's going to be such a beautiful, amazing workshop with so much value and information. Um, and this workshop is really geared towards you know folks who are living with eating disorders or um, who have health conditions as well as, as healthcare providers. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are a healthcare provider, you are more than welcome to come because we really believe that you know education, is really impactful and it just supports us in our work. So all are welcome. We hope to see you there. And on that note, my friends, let's get to the podcast episode. Hey, Jasna. Hi, how are you, Marie-Pierre? I am good. How are you doing today? Good. I was just saying before we started recording the podcast that I had a little vacation time. So I'm feeling very calm, very relaxed, and very excited to do this podcast. That is awesome. I think for me, vacation coming back, it's like either I'm back and I'm relaxed, calm, life is beautiful, or I'm like, oh my goodness, like it is chaotic. There's so much thing when you come back, but you know, worth it. I hear you. Also, you are the only guest of the the podcast who has now been on here twice. Exciting. I know. I know. You're the first repeated guest. So if you guys um, don't know Jasmine, she is a dietitian on the team. Her podcast episode probably came out like a year and a half ago. Like it's been a while where we talked about diabetes and eating disorder recovery. So I'll definitely put that in the show note if you guys want to hear more about um, yeah that first podcast episode we did. Awesome. But maybe we can start with doing like a reintroduction of like who you are, what your role at the practice, is and just a little bit more about yeah you as a human. Yeah, so my name is Jasna. You can also call me Jazz. I am a registered dietitian, just like Marie Pierre said. I'm a certified diabetes educator and a certified intuitive eating counselor. And I just realized I've been with the Balance Practice. It'll be this fall, so I'm very excited about that. I see individuals as well as families, and I do some group work, like meal support. Some of my specialties. So just like I mentioned, I work in eating disorders and diabetes. I also to do mom and baby nutrition. And I really love working on managing health conditions like diabetes or food allergies in a way that's gentle and aligned with the principles of health at every size and intuitive eating. That's kind of my passion. Oh, I love that so much. And yeah, she's been with us for three years. You're like the OG TBP member. 
And I love all the intersections of your work too. Cause I mean, eating disorders don't happen on their own with nothing else happening in folks' life. Like they're typically there with a combination of other things. So it's a really cool area to be able to do like diabetes and eating disorder and even like pregnancy and postpartum with ED or disordered eating and any other health conditions that we may find as they intertwine with maybe disordered eating and eating disorders. So today we wanted to talk a little bit more about that piece of like health, a little bit outside of diet culture, maybe how they can lead to um, eating disorders. And this is all guys in anticipation for a workshop that Jasna will be hosting at the end of the month in September on, um, you know, health conditions and eating disorders. So we're really excited to have this conversation today. So I'm really curious, maybe if we can talk a little bit about like folks that do have health conditions and maybe are prescribed certain, you know, foods to eat, foods not to eat by their doctor. Like how are they able to maybe manage that without falling down the slippery slope of disordered eating? Yeah, such a good question. And I think that food and nutrition advice is really everywhere these days, especially because we're in the information age where we can just type a word into Google and pretty much anything pops up, it can get pretty confusing. And I think also we all eat food, right? We need food to survive as humans, usually multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. And so most people have an opinion on food and that can translate into feeling like experts on nutrition and giving advice without necessarily having solid evidence to back it up, right? So we can be getting advice pretty much every time we're opening our phone, pretty much every time we're answering emails, every time we're talking to people, getting a coffee, going to the doctor. It's all over the place all day long, constantly. Mm -hmm. And diet culture and wellness culture um, and fat phobia, they're not just in our media, right? Our whole society are affected by these. And I think the medical system's not immune either to weight bias, right? Weight bias has been around in North American culture for you know, hundreds of years. And diet culture can definitely seep into some of those health recommendations and special diet advice. So for example, popular diets that get used for weight loss start getting uh, looked at in research to see whether they will also help with, you know, potentially health conditions. And it can get really muddled and confusing because even if that advice doesn't necessarily have any proven effects, it gets a lot of media attention and gets really, really kind of hyped up and it can be really exciting. We might get told cutting out this food will help us lose weight and that will solve all of our health Mm. problems, even if there isn't actually good evidence backing it up. We might get told, you know, cutting out a food might help our cholesterol or our blood sugar or acne. And then we can fall into this like all or nothing thinking about the food. This, This food is bad. So if I eat the food, then I'm bad. And that leads to so much guilt, right? So much shame around the food and a really slippery slope towards disordered eating or even potentially just making the problem with our health condition worse. Mm, Yeah, that's such a good... Man, there was so much gems in what you said. I'm like trying to take notes because I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. But it's 100% that, right? Like diet culture does not just exist in social media. It does exist too in the healthcare. And it can be really, really tricky if we do have a condition 
condition that may or may not be helped with food. And like some of them, like you said, like may not actually help. It's just kind of like seeped in that you're like, oh, I might as well just try keto or whatever, which maybe has no evidence behind it, but it's just kind of like the thing of the day. So trying to like figure out between like, okay, what is actually helpful for me and what can actually be damaging or unhelpful for me can become really tricky. Yeah, definitely. And as we, you know, especially if we have, just like you mentioned with the intersection of conditions, if we've got multiple conditions and we're trying multiple things at once, it can be just a real mess, right? Figure out what's working, what's not working. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, one thing that you said too, is that, you know, like those types of messages are everywhere. And I always find it funny with clients when they're like, oh no, like I don't, I'm not really like, like I don't see these messages a lot. And then we start learning about diet culture and you're like, it's everywhere. And when you see it, you see it everywhere. <laughs> so it does make sense that it gets like, you know, quite a lot. Um, and can we just talk maybe like the risk with those types of like, maybe like nutrition recommendations that may not be super supportive. So let's say I have a health condition and my doctor tells me like, hey, why don't you try to do X, Y, and Z thing that may be restrictive? Like what's the risk of that? Yeah, good question. So often we think, you know, it's just food. It's something natural. It's not, you know, a medication. What's the harm, right? If I take it out, I could always go back to it later if it's not working. And I think actually there can be sometimes more harms in some of these um, kinds of diets that don't necessarily have as much, you know, studies that have gone into the medications often have way more studies that go behind them before we can make recommendations or use them on the general public. Whereas diets don't necessarily have that vigorous kind of sort of scientific process behind it before we start recommending them left, right, center and putting them on the internet. And we can develop nutrition deficiencies if we start cutting up, especially like whole groups of food, you know, cutting out grains or cutting out, you know, carbs in general or something like that, or cutting out fats. We can start malabsorbing some of our vitamins. We can start actually having too much of certain vitamins and minerals that make it hard to absorb others. There can be pathways where we need to have the right balance to absorb everything in moderation. And we can develop some gut issues when we start cutting out whole groups of food or even certain foods in particular. We might not continue to make enzymes. I'm thinking like lactose, for example. You know, we can stop making enzymes to absorb those foods. And that can cause us some gut issues down the road that can kind of make our problem worse than where we were to begin with. Mm. That's like so important. Like all of those impacts of restriction that can happen when we do. And then like, then we also look at like the relationship to food piece where we are like, how is that restriction or that labeling of food impacting the way that we relate to food? And I feel oftentimes with health, it's like it adds a whole other layer because when we start being like scared for our health or concerned for our health, like we are in a very vulnerable situation too, where if you tell me that this is bad for me, like the intensity of that can create quite a big rupture in my relationship to food too. Totally. And I think about also just like the social impact, right? If mm -hmm. I I can't eat all these different foods. It's going to be really hard for me to eat with other people, to go out to restaurants. There can be a lot of isolation around that. We can feel really alone and we can continue to turn more and more to, you know, a very closed group where we got maybe the food recommendations from. We were doing a podcast recently on the wellness trap um, by Chrissy Harrison. Little plug for that podcast. <laughs> and um, I know she kind of mentions that when we're feeling scared or feeling like we have some big 
big life changes, we're way more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. Um, I think we're way more likely to start believing advice that doesn't necessarily have good evidence behind it when we're feeling vulnerable and scared, right? Yeah, it's kind of like that last resort feeling of like, if the current medical system isn't supporting us, and I I mean, we've had so many of these talks (laughs) over the summer in terms of like medical fat phobia and how the system is maybe not set up for like women or folks in like marginalized groups. And when the healthcare system fails, and then we have these like perfect, perfectly wrapped diet that's going to solve all of your issues, it makes it really hard to want to look for deeper evidence or really question it because we're just wanting to feel better. Yeah, yeah. And I want to validate that if you have gone down that rabbit hole, I know I've gone down some rabbit Mm -hmm. holes with my food allergies in the past. It is not your fault. You're not doing this to try to harm yourself. It makes sense, right? That we want to feel better. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And one more piece that I wanted to add as you were talking about, like when folks maybe start eliminating different foods from their diet because of, you know, medical recommendations or their own health conditions, and it can lead to nutrition deficiencies and all these other things. We also know that like a negative energy balance, so not eating enough for what your body actually requires to function is also one of the biggest risk factors of developing an eating disorder, um, which kind of ties into like dieting, which is a huge risk factor of developing an eating disorder too. So it is quite a slippery slope when we start looking at food from that restrictive lens. Definitely. I know when we do our assessments, we always ask about what kind of triggered the eating disorder. And I feel like probably three quarters of my clients, it started with a very kind of quote unquote harmless um, kind of food restriction for a health issue that Mm -hmm. turns into a slippery slope. The brain functions definitely differently when we're in food deprivation, right? When we're not actually Mm -hmm. getting enough total food, our brain is really wired to help us survive, right? We can develop um, either, you know, restrict binge cycles, or we can have really, you know, big changes in our mood, big changes in our thinking patterns, um, thinking more in kind of like the food restrictive or anorexia type um, eating disorders, we can have a lot of changes um, in our brain and our body that kind of stem from quote unquote, harmless changes to our diet. Mm. It's so interesting when I think about that too, that's like, we start doing these things with food for our health, thinking that it is the thing that's going to be most helpful, but can actually end up with the most consequences to the relationship with food and body. I'm curious if you, if we could talk a little bit maybe about some myths around eating in a certain way for your health or what that actually looks like. Is there actually truth to that? Like if we can unpack that a little bit. Yeah, I love this question. So there are so many health and food myths out there. I feel like we could do a whole podcast episode on debunking myths and how do we sort through what's actually valid what's you know just kind of mumbo jumbo so I thought maybe I'd give like my top three myths that I've been seeing a lot lately about eating and health conditions yeah so number one that I've been seeing so often is if you have IBS or irritable bowel syndrome you need to be on a restrictive diet like a low FODMAP diet for the rest of your life and I want to kind of say that you know the low FODMAP diet and other 
versions of, you know, some changes to diets do have some good evidence that they can be helpful in irritable bowel syndrome and other gastrointestinal issues. However, these are supposed to be short-term interventions done with guidance and then, you know, systematic reintroduction of foods back Mm -hmm. in also with guidance to see what our tolerance level is and also hopefully to make some changes to our gut that can help us tolerate more foods in the long run. Mm -hmm. But I see so many clients that have been given like a printout of all the foods they can never have again for the rest of their lives, zero follow-up. And then they're eating this restrictive diet for months or years. And they're feeling so much guilt and shame if they have something that's on the list. They're, you know, not going to family events or events with their friends because they can't eat things and they can develop nutrition deficiencies. And I think actually make their gut health worse in the long run because we're changing our gut bacteria, right? When we're cutting out lots and lots of foods. And that's so frustrating for the person with the digestive issues because you're not seeing maybe the improvements you want to see and you're on this really restrictive diet. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say with this one, like with the IBS, like it's such a big one with low FODMAP. And also oftentimes like low FODMAP is not the first intervention, especially if you have a history of eating disorder, disordered eating, like an elimination diet, although there are some benefits may not actually be what you need if you have a history of an eating disorder or disordered eating. That one's a good one. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I kind of love you how you said, you know, going the most restrictive route might not be that first step, right? That might be a later down the road stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my second one, my second myth I've been seeing a lot, it's kind of also in that kind of intolerance vein. So I see so many clients that if they have an intolerance or if they think they have an intolerance or an allergy or a skin condition or a digestive issue or like anything under the sun, pretty much the belief is that you're probably needing to cut out dairy and you're probably needing to cut out gluten. And I feel like every decade we collectively decide to just hate on some food groups for no particular reason. We just like cycle through, okay, what food group can we hate this decade? Mm -hmm. And I've been seeing so many people cut out these items because somewhere someone told them to. And yes, there are definitely folks who are intolerant to these foods and need to avoid or limit them. However, I think, you know, the key message here is if you're restricting a food and don't see an improvement in your, or if you've had no issue with a food up to date, and then someone tells you to cut it out, it could actually be harmful for for you and possibly make things worse, either creating nutrition deficiencies or be that slippery slope like we talked about down the disordered eating path. Mm, that one is so good too. Like restriction is not a trend that we need to follow. All foods are good. Unless we do have, and we can talk maybe a little bit about that too. Like if you do have an intolerance and allergy, then it's different. But for most of us, like we can tolerate those foods. And kind of looking into like the kind of testing that's being done. And um, yeah, I was like, I don't know if that's your third one, but like, have you ever had a client come in with like the like intolerance testing? Yes. Yeah. And it was like hair or something random. Oh my goodness. I had one of my first clients, like when I first graduated who came and had this like pack stack of papers. And she's like, I brought this for you. And I was like, okay. She's like, so these are all the foods that I cannot eat. I swear to God, it was like 52 pages of food. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like it was so wild. And it was like the 
green, yellow, red, like green is safe. And there's like six foods in there. Yellow, there's like 10. And then red is like everything else. Yeah. And I think, you know, a really good kind of question to ask ourselves is if we haven't been having any reactions to foods leading up to this, you know, it's possible that, you know, maybe we need to ask more questions about what is the validity of this test? Why is this test being done? Why am I not getting symptoms if I'm being told that I'm intolerant to all these things? Mm-hmm. And most of them are not valid, guys. Mm-hmm. Just like as an FYI. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. And then what's your third misconception? Yeah, my third misconception. So I, I, I mentioned that I'm a, I work a lot in diabetes. So this one's a little bit about diabetes because I see this a lot. So if you have diabetes or if you don't want to get diabetes, the myth is that you should cut out all sugar and carbs. Mm. And there's actually no good evidence. So the most recent guidelines came out, reviewed the evidence, and there's actually no good evidence linking sugar intake or carbohydrate intake to causing people to get diabetes. Mm. And actually eating a variety of foods especially foods that do contain carbohydrates like grains, vegetables, legumes. They're really good sources of our fiber in our diet. And these can be helpful in reducing our risk of getting diabetes or managing diabetes. We need to have a variety of food in our diet to actually get enough nutrients, to get enough total energy, to keep our organs working properly. Mm -hmm. And yes, when someone has diabetes, especially if they're dosing insulin or something like that, we do have to maybe be more mindful of when we're having carbohydrates, what types of carbohydrates and how much we're having um, to kind of use the medication properly. But all foods can fit. Just like Matthew Piao said, there's no foods that are off the table. Kind of pun intended, right? <laughs> Love that. Love that you brought that misconceptions around sugar because I feel like I hear that all the time. Like I'm afraid of like getting diabetes, therefore I cannot eat sugar. And I think that's like sugar must be the current like demonized food right now where it's like, okay, some carbs are okay, but not sugar though. Like make sure you don't have too much. And it's just so harmful for messages. And then the stress that we start getting around the foods too is also not ideal for health. So that, that's a really, really good one. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I actually saw an article that was put out by Dietitians of Canada that looked at our sugar consumption in Canada. And there's been more fear of sugar in the last 20 years, but our intake of sugar as a population has actually decreased significantly in the last 20 years. So we're like more scared, but actually having less of it. Like those messages don't match up, right? Mm, yeah, that's pretty wild. I, I love all of those debunking. So I'm really curious if someone is like, well, like I'm, I have some health concern or I do want to work on my health. And like, I think nutrition may play a role for me and my health like how would you like what would you say to someone who's kind of looking for like a health at every size inclusive approach to like being able to focus on health good question so i actually think coming out a special diet from an anti-diet health at every size intuitive eating foundation can kind of be like the barometer that helps serve as like a check-in point with ourselves. So if we can check in with ourselves periodically, like, are we still finding satisfaction in our eating experience? Are we still rejecting the diet mentality or like the weight centric mentality? Are we still noticing like hunger and fullness and being kind with ourselves? And the last principle of intuitive eating is actually gentle nutrition. And I think this is where special diets 
can play a role because I think part of being kind and gentle with ourselves in terms of food might mean having to follow special dietary guidelines to honor our health and our bodies, right? So yes, while there's a lot of food and nutrition myths, sometimes we do actually have to follow some special diet recommendations. If you have a severe food allergy and it's life-threatening, it's not going to be kind and gentle to ourselves to have that food be part of our diet, right? We might actually need to have some avoidance, some limitations, and that can still fit as part of intuitive eating. I think getting some help from an anti-diet healthcare provider can be really helpful in navigating this process, especially if you've had disordered eating in the past, or if you're noticing that starting to follow a special diet is making it hard to feel okay about food or to feel okay about body image, or that you're getting some thoughts and feelings around guilt and shame when you're eating. I love that. So it's kind of like you're adding gentle nutrition, but you're also thinking about like those red flags of like, when I eat this way, am I still able to engage in like intuitive eating principles? So it's almost like the intention behind the behavior, right? Like if I'm eating this amazing salad that I made, if I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is so good and it's going to help me lose weight. And like, I'm being so good right now. And like, this is great. The intention is pretty restrictive. Whereas if I'm eating it from the perspective of like, hey, I'm having this and like, what else can I add to make sure it's nourishing for me? I'm enjoying it. Like I added my favorite dressing. It's so delicious. It's so crispy. It's so fresh. All the things like the intention behind the behavior starts to matter quite a lot. I think when we think of that gentle nutrition piece from the anti-diet perspective. Yeah, that's such a good way to kind of sort out those two, right? And I think getting curious also and doing some experimenting, this could be a place where getting some guidance from a healthcare provider can be really helpful. What happens when we remove some of those restrictions? How does that change like guilt, shame when I'm eating? What actually happens to like my blood sugar or like my gut, you know, symptoms or things like that when I actually re-include a food? Like if we can do some experimenting and still be gentle with ourselves, that can be another really awesome way to kind of approach this in a way that feels like it still fits with haze and with intuitive eating. Yeah. And I think even just that piece of like knowledge in terms of like what is actually helpful or not. Because I think that part is hard for, I mean, everyone, even for us as dietitians, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like look at all this information. Like, okay, like let's like sift through like what's actually legit, what is not. Because I think even that part can be difficult if you have a health condition and you do want to like support yourself, but having the right information and not going down those like diet culture rabbit holes can be really supportive to be able to work with an anti-diet dietitian to be like, all right, so what is true with this? What do we like, what's actually going to be helpful? And what are the things that are actually not needed that we don't need that added restriction because it's not actually going to benefit us more in the long run? Definitely. Yeah. That part is so difficult. So, so difficult. So can you tell us maybe a little bit about the workshop that you're going to be facilitating this September? Yeah. So I'm so excited about it. Um, It's going to be September the 29th at 12 o'clock and it's going to be a one hour low cost workshop. And we're going to be talking about sort of navigating that intersection between chronic health conditions with a little bit of a focus on diabetes, especially, and also, you know, disordered eating, diet culture, 
eating disorders? How do we navigate all of those things together and come out with a way of eating, a way of being in the world that helps us feel like we're honoring our health and also honoring our bodies, our minds, our well-being, all of those pieces, and not just feel guilty all day long, every day. I'd really love for you to join me for that session. Um, maybe Marie-Pierre can tell you a little bit more about registering. Yeah. First of all, it's going to be so good because Jess is a great facilitator. She's done a, a few of the workshops um, in the balance program and for the low-cost workshops. But yeah, so you guys can go to thebalancepractice.com forward slash LC workshop. It's also going to be in the link in the bio. So you guys can just scroll up and just press on it to sign up. It is a $10 low-cost workshop. And we typically have folks from like the community. So if you are someone living with maybe diabetes and maybe your relationship has gone tricky or you, you're trying to manage a health condition as you're managing recovery. But we also invite other healthcare providers to also join us. And I feel it's also great like in terms of like impact and being able to collaborate and support each other in learning, especially when it comes to these intersections, because it is quite specific when we get in these intersections of like, you know, health and eating disorder and disordered eating and like living in diet culture and all of the things that we're trying to support ourselves through. So we would love to see you guys there. Again, the link will be in the show notes so you guys can go just click and register. And if you can't be live, we're also going to be um, sending you the replay. So you'll have access to all of that so you can continue to just watch it. Um, but that's pretty much it for today. Jasna, thank you so much for being here with us, for connecting on this amazing topic, such an important topic to talk, I think, as anti-diet dietitians, because I think there's often also this myth that like anti-diet means that like we don't care about our health anymore and it just like disappears and I don't know, but that's really not the case. We just approach health very differently. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun speaking with you. It's always so good. Okay, so we're going to do our fun questions. They're the same as last time, but we'll see if your questions have changed or your answers have changed. Are you ready? The definitely. first one is, what is your favorite food? Okay, so I think last <laughs> time I definitely said something different because my favorite food changes like every week. But right now I'm really <laughs> into spicy ramen soup. I could eat this for oh. days. Just spicy ramen soup. I'm loving it. I love it. Even in the summer? Are you like a soup lover? Even especially in the summer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? So I think I'd love to travel through time. I've been watching some time traveling movies this summer, and I think it would be really fun to see, you know, creatures that existed in in the past that we don't have around anymore and see what the future would be like. I think it would, I think that would be really fun. That would be pretty cool. Um, what is your favorite way to self-care? So definitely because of summertime, I'm also going to say being outside. That one's probably the same as last time. I feel like being outside with my family and just seeing, you know, the green, seeing the blue sky. I'm really fortunate. I live in Ottawa and we have a lot of access to green space and to water. And that always just brings me so much relaxation. Wow, oh, I love that. And then the last question for you, what does balance mean to you? Mm, good question. So this one I thought about, this one's hard. Yeah, I really believe in like everything in moderation and I'm going to add even moderation in moderation. I think sometimes we need those extremes. Yeah, I think sometimes moderation actually needs to be moderated. 
I love that. That's like a really nice twist on it. And if somebody's listening to this and they'd love to work with you, where can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah. So you can go to the balancepractice.com and look at our Meet the Team website. You can click on my name, find out more about my bio and my calendar there is there as well. I also provide free um, sort of get to know you discovery calls if you want to find out more if we would fit together. And I do one-on-ones as well as families and uh, group support as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I cannot wait for the workshop. It's going to be so, so good. And I hope to see all of you guys there. All right, my friends, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode as much as I did. I always love connecting with Jasna from the Balance Practice team. If you are wanting to get support and one-on-one support with her, you can definitely go to our website at www.thebalancepractice.com and check her out. On that note, my friends, I hope that you have such a beautiful day and I will catch you next week in the next podcast episode. 